Hey, welcome uh, to this week's episode of The Deep Dive, where we are in our series called It Runs in the Family, looking at what it means to be the church and what we are called to. This week, we are looking at the idea of uh, teaching one another. And uh, today, joined by Pastors Dan Borth and Matt Baer. Um, how you guys? How you guys doing? Awesome. Camp was last week, so I just feel so... Refreshed? Rested. Fresh. Yeah. I just feel so full. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great way to put it. So Matt is one of our youth pastors uh, here at our Mid Rivers campus, and uh, yeah, Matt. So this is your first time on the deep dive. Welcome to me. Welcome, welcome, <laughs> everybody. Welcome to uh, Matt. Um, Dan, you've worked now with Matt for a couple of years. Um, what what words come to your mind when? Yes, when you think of of um, Matt. Well, I, before I get to the true ones, let's start with, he's, he's a pretty good friend, uh, trustworthy guy. That's actual. Um, Matt is lively. Matt is always engaged. Matt has no fear of going off topic. None. None whatsoever. That's true. However, no cap. It's, it's like an agile mountain climber. He, he's, always, he's always okay in the end. So yeah. I'm excited for today. I think this deep dive might be the most entertaining deep dive. Have you seen... Might be the, the most lively anyway. The Alex handled, Alex Arnold, like, climbing the... Free the solo? Free solo. Yeah, uh-huh. it's fantastic. Mind-boggling. Like, my Epic. palms are sweating thinking about that guy's climb. Let's do that here today. Okay. Let's go no harnesses. Click Let's right just... here to watch Free Solo. <laughs> <laughs> we get no money for this right. uh, at Sponsorships. all. Uh, anyway, so we're in a, uh, a series, right? It runs in the family looking at what it means to be the church. Yes. Um, when you guys think of the church, right? When you think of uh, words, characteristics of the church, like what what do you hope? You know, Matt, you work with, with uh, young people. You work with our, our students. Like when you're talking about the church with them, what are some of your hopes uh, for that they would come away with and that they would feel the church being? I think one of my biggest hopes is that when they think of church, they think more. Their thoughts initially go to their small group and not to a specific service. You know what I mean? Like I hope that um, our students get to connect with each other and when they think of church, it's much more of their brothers and sisters who they've done life with rather than the walls in which, in case, they're sitting. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's probably what... So small relationships, you know, relationships in small kind of uh, settings where, where students are known. Yeah. Um, and then that is something I know... I know the youth ministry does a really good job of that. I don't always know how often that translates, right, outside of the youth ministry, outside of even, like, the specific... Um, you know, smaller demographic ministries that we have. But I think that's a great hope, right, for us even, that that the church would be something where we are known, where we know others um, well. I think that's pretty important for our topic today. I know we'll get into it in a little bit, but um, when we talk about teaching, so often that gets construed in large uh, Mm -hmm. lecture-style settings. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's the heart of this passage that we're looking at, but we'll get there. Yeah, awesome. Um, okay, so so as you kind of just teed up, right, today's passage, it, teach one another, um, comes from Colossians chapter 3, so we're going to be in Colossians 3 uh, verses, uh, focusing really on verses 16 and 17, but we'll probably jump all around that passage a bit. Um, when you guys hear the word teaching, um, when you guys think of teaching when it comes to the church, what what comes to your mind? It's always just like the 
person on a stage is what comes to mind for teaching. And yet, almost ironically, that's not when, when I think of learning, I don't mm-hmm. put myself in the other spot. Like, if that makes sense. So, like, teaching, I picture someone on a stage, but when I think of learning and understanding, I don't picture myself sitting in a pew. And so that's maybe some cognitive dissonance on my part, but I think there's also something to that of, like, that's the first thing that comes to mind, but should it be? And is that the best way to think about it? Um, Because it's definitely an aspect of teaching, but it's not the only or maybe yeah. even the best way. Yeah, Matt, that's fascinating. And I, I, in teaching team yesterday, we even brought up that idea of the relationship between teaching and learning. Because it, if there's not learning happening, then the teaching kind of is just, just talking, just silly, yeah. right? Like, I mean, the idea that I have is somebody on a stage in a room where there's nobody and they're just talking and teaching, right? Are they teaching? Sure. Who are they teaching? I don't know, right? Um, so the relationship between those two. So I think that's a great that's a great point. I hadn't even thought of that, but that, I think for me, if I think of learning, I'm not situating myself in an environment where, oh man, now we have to go to like counseling because as a teacher, like <laughs> that's not the yeah. person I'm thinking of. That's something I do. Yeah. Well, I, I I think that's an important like that's the important tension. Um, I can think of settings where I have sat with someone teaching and I have, I have learned, um, I have learned head, heart, hands. And then I think of other settings like canoes in the boundary waters of Canada, where I learned more about fishing from my father-in-law in in one week than I've learned in an entire lifetime of trying. Um, so I, I think that implied in teach and admonish is this other unspoken thing, but I do think the Bible assumes it because the Bible loves wisdom. Wisdom is the internalizing to the point of living out these things that, that we read in Scripture. But um, the tension of learning has to always be kept in view. And I, I love that because it, it raises questions for me. Um, am I putting myself in a posture to learn um, in dynamic settings um, or in static settings? Am I approaching others with with a sense of compassion for how they learn um, and starting this this Christian movement, this one another movement, um, keeping both aspects in mind. Mm. That's good. Maybe. That's good. It might be good. There's, there's, stuff, there's good. something in there. There's good there. Let's, well, let's jump into the, the passage. Okay, so Colossians 3, I think that'll kind of launch us into, you know, further conversation. Um, Matt, you read verses... Uh, 12 through 17. 12 through 17, for sure. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So there's a lot in this passage. Obviously, the words that we want to kind of key in on, that we keyed on, in on this weekend, uh, were uh, teaching and admonishing one another. So let's just start. Let's start there. Teaching and admonishing. Uh, at, at root, what 
what do these words mean? Uh, what kind of ideas do they um, bring to your mind when, when you hear those two together? Yeah, so for teaching, I, I, I think of someone who is in a position, a relational position, mm-hmm. um, or a relative position to um, encourage, inspire, speak to in, in constructive ways another. Um, admonish, I think, carries a little bit stronger of a force. I see these dynamics at, at, at play in my home. I have young girls. Uh, Piper just turned 10. Happy birthday, Piper. Uh, the twins are seven. And there are moments when I want them to learn something that maybe isn't critical in this moment, but it's something I want them to know for the future. Um, or maybe it is critical right now, but it's not. there's not emotion in it. Sure. It's, it's learning. Uh, it helps. Admonishing is a little bit more like don't touch the hot stove, I think. Or, um, you know, honey, if you want to make that peanut butter and jelly sandwich, get a clean knife. Those kinds of things. Help us all out. <laughs> yeah, like they are a little bit more um, maybe relevant to the moment, but they carry something. Mm-hmm. It's not just learning for the for the benefit of the person. It's actually like for the outcome of uh, the desired outcome that, you know, either they want or that, you know, you, mm-hmm. you want for them. So those are the kinds of yeah. dynamics I see at play in those words. In the – I kind of did a little – searches on um, those because when I was looking at the passage, I was like, I don't know if I distinguish between those two things a ton. And one of the things I saw was um, teaching is an imparting of truth while admonishing is a warning against evil. And I thought those kind of things, it was an interesting verbiage. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if it's perfect, um, but at least it helps give my mind some kind of things to grasp on. Some handles. Some handles to look at and to a lens to look through to view those things distinctly, and yet there is relationship between them yeah. at the same time. Yeah, and it's interesting, right? They're used here in, in, in tangent, right? They're they're together. They're not, um, you know, we can split hairs. Hey, this one means this one, and this one means this one. I think the whole thing collectively is in view, and it's interesting in this passage, right? There, There's a reflexive here, right? It's, it's one another. So it's not just teach, right? This idea of the lecture hall or the, at least for me, um, when I think of teaching in the church, I often think of the pastor, the sermon, the Sunday morning uh, homily, right? And yet that's not, I think, what is fully in scope here. Um, you know, the one another, right? There's this mutual, uh, this this mutuality, right? Of like, I can learn from you, you can learn from me. We're, we're supposed to be doing this in the context of a, of a community. Um, and then there's a description here that he continues, like, and he kind of gives you, hey, how, right, through through singing, right? So I want to come to that in a minute because that is fascinating to me, and I think it resonates with um, at least my experience on, on Sundays, and I'm somebody who likes to listen to sermons. Like, I'll listen, you know, find different churches, different podcasts, and listen. like, I like that, and yet that's not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about the practice of the community gathering and learning from one another through various things. Um all right, Matt, you are uh, the the least removed from your Greek education. So oh, no. uh, the word uh, teaching here. <laughs> didasco, uh, didasco, yeah, uh, didaskantes. So it's a participle. Galas is what, what I was thinking. Uh, yeah. a participle. What, gotcha. For our listeners, what no. is a participle in Greek? And then how can we help to understand these things? First off, I'd like to start with I hate you for bringing this up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think participle is when it's something that's... Last week was forgive one another, yeah. so <laughs> we're going to invoke that right yeah. now. Uh, I think participle is when something is continuing. It's not like an action that was done. It wasn't mm-hmm. that 
happened and is continuing to happen. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, sure. Just take that, Dr. Yarbrough. <laughs> no, I'm sure he doesn't listen to this. Participles are, are fascinating because they they do give that sense of um, movement. And mm-hmm. depending on how it's structured and where it sits in, in a sentence, yeah. it can have more of a comment on the doer or more of a comment on the doing. Mm-hmm. I think here this is more of a comment on the doing. Brad, you pulled out a parallel between this and Matthew 28, I think. Yeah, yeah, Matthew 28. So that, that tip, you know, the Great Commission, Jesus with his disciples, and he says, um, well, for, first of which, right, he, you know, go and make disciples, right? Go, actually, that's a participle mm-hmm. there, right? Um, as you go, while you go, the assumption is that movement is happening. You're going to go about your life as you live your life, as you go from this place, make disciples, right? The, the imperative there. Um, but then later, the word teaching is found there. He describes what it looks like to make disciples. And one of the things he, Jesus is telling his followers is teaching them, right? All that I have commanded you. And so there, there's that, that, act, um, that activity there too, that this ongoing teaching, this continual teaching while you teach, this is what that looks like. Teach them the things that I have commanded. Which is cool. We see that in the life of Christ. We see him teaching in moments where there are crowds gathered, but we see him also teaching as they're walking by fig trees, leaving a city. Yeah. And he's making fish on, you know, for breakfast, yeah. you know, a little campfire and they come up and, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think we know from the way the synoptic gospels have repetitive stories in different places. I, I think what happens is Jesus taught so often such similar things in so many settings that his disciples could pull a, a teaching and apply it at different points in their journeys together. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I just, I, I think like, I guess if we feel lost, we should probably start by looking at the picture of Jesus teaching disciples, disciples in that learning environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what are the dynamics there? How do those things play out? Because when we get to these letters to the church, there are contexts we don't know of. And I, I think that's why I, I really appreciate us pointing out at the beginning, we, we exist in a very Western, very Enlightenment sure. style, yeah. education style, lecture style, uh, learning for even even this right here. Yeah. We're sitting here as talking heads. Three guys with microphones. Hoping that yeah. somebody listens. But when these were written, I, you know, the, these are the, the handful of believers in Colossae, or hopefully multiple handfuls. Mm-hmm. And they have life together, yeah. and they're they're growing in grace. They're letting the word of Christ dwell in them richly. Depends on their ability to speak to and hear from one another mm-hmm. about what this new life in Christ is. And the speak to and hear from one another is a natural outpouring of the word of Christ dwelling, yes, in us richly. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I think thinking about like the relationship that's important to teaching. Like I was wrestling with this in school like I don't know how necessary relationship is for data transfer I think it might be needed in some capacity but I Mm. think for teaching relationship is necessary and when sometimes the best speakers I feel like I learn from are the ones that feel like hey I I know that guy like I know I connect to him and I think a lot of people are in that scenario where they've connected somehow with this person they feel as if there's a relationship there and thus they listen one of the things I think for ministry, I've told a lot of my students, like, my best sermons are when I go to the gym with kids or when I have students over for burgers. Like, I think 
building the relationship, those are what create moments of teaching. And I would imagine, I would hope to, in those moments, have some one-offs where the Lord is like, hey, say this and be smart, and it affects your kids' lives. But I would imagine Jesus had a lot of those one-offs where they were just like doing life together, and he said something, and the disciples were all like, shoot, that was good, you know? Yeah, yeah, and I think often the disciples were like, wait, what? You know, but but yes. Um, all right, so I want to ask here too. Like, so with this teaching, right? The it's a plural verb, right? It, it, it's you, right? Teaching, like you all teaching, and then there's the reflexive of one another. Um, so there's this communal aspect to it, and then what follows is, um, you know, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So I think it's. It, I'm fascinated. I think oftentimes we sing our theology, right? That that like the things that we remember as much as those of us who get to preach and teach uh, would hope that everyone's hanging on every word. And that's the thing that they're remembering and talking about. More likely the thing that you remember and talk about is the, the songs. Um, I know, you know, in moments when I'm struggling, I'm often reminded of songs that I've, I've you know, sang or have heard sung right around me. Connection between those teaching and then these different songs. I want to hop in here. Um, one of the most important things that I learned, oddly, in a teaching moment uh, was at Covenant. Uh, Brad, I think we shared the same professor, and Matt, I'm not sure if you've, if you've had this class yet. Um, they talked about the Psalms, and one of the things that our, our professor wanted us to understand is that each psalm, yes, it was an expression of faith. Yes, it was, you know, a demonstration of of strong emotion in many cases. But the thing that blew me away that I hadn't understood yet is that each of the psalms were intended to be sung by the congregation. Mm -hmm. So when we hear of David's fear or of his sleepless nights, to understand that those were songs that were supposed to be sung together Mm -hmm. so that in any one moment, maybe you didn't have a sleepless night, but I did. And as we sang that together and I understood that King David had these moments and you're singing with me, my spirit is lifted in this context. And that learning, uh, this life of faith, this this wisdom to do the things that God set in front of us um, starts coming very much from the inside out and it allows us, um, I, I don't want to say this wrong, I, I, but I, I find myself frequently uh, tempted to live in my head. Mm-hmm. And when I sing, that just gets turned off. Mm-hmm. And my head and my heart and my, my action are much, much more in sync. Um, I'm more likely after that to go out to have a great conversation with a friend or, or family. I'm more likely after that to have a sense of how to pray or what to pray of my own yeah. words in my own time. So um, I love that he says that here. Uh, I think that it's something that we know intuitively, um, although we need to be very careful, I think, especially if we're regular church attenders, of talking about the music and the message mm-hmm. as separate. Um, sidebar, I really appreciate that at many times and many points, our musicians here try to cue music for us that matches the lessons that we're talking about verbally. But I think along those lines, during the pandemic and when we were doing fully virtual, the thing I missed the most was like communal worship. And there's something to participating with the body in the song. Like the lesson, missed that too in person. But more so, mm-hmm. it was the worship, mm-hmm. the like singing with believers and, and all of us just professionally like, 
Lord, we need you. And like we're able to profess that together in this way. And I think song has a way of doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and even a lot of song helps us to memorize. I think you said song. we sing our theology. Yeah. And like it's easier to memorize a song. And that's why so much of the OT was memorized. Well, lyrically. yeah, well, I, absolutely. And I, I think also, you know, it's why we see, especially in the ch- in kid, uh, in, in the church world, like with kids, I mean, how think about like the songs that we sang when we were in Sunday school, um, the songs that our kids are singing uh, in, in our children's ministry. Like it's really rich theology, right? Because there is a, I mean, Kids programming has figured out a way to tap into music as a means of education. Absolutely. I have a quick story about the power of music. Um, January, uh, really right after the start of the year, a, a good friend of mine, a friend of, that I've had for a very long time at this point, we've had an interesting, um, we kind of met at random, and then he wound up in St. Charles serving uh, actually my family and the church I grew up at. He was a youth pastor. He was my sister's youth pastor. And he randomly passed away mm-hmm. in January. Um, to say that, you know, it was confusing, It was there was certainly grief, but it was just a very confusing yeah. thing. There a lot of distance. He was in Texas, and so it was an odd grief to place. Um, he's a church planter. He, he's a very faithful dad. He's a really good guy. And um, there's just a lot yeah. in that, right? And uh, how do you respond to those moments with faith? And I happened to be with my daughter, Hazel. We were going to Deerbergs of all places. And our friend, Jaron, he, he had reintroduced me to an artist, John Foreman from Switchfoot. Mm. And it just so happened that John Foreman had released a song that same day that deeply spoke to where I was at. The song is called Jesus, I Have My Doubts. Um, and it gave this expression to me. It gave me permission to lean into all of those disparate feelings, gratitude, grief, loss, distance, all of it. And it, it allowed me to express those things in faith. Um, and it, it allowed me to express my tiredness of mm. those parts of this world, death and dying of, of grief. Um, so just such a gift. And I don't know that anyone in that moment could have said anything, sure. taught me anything, with a great phrase, but the song could reach deeply into where I was and, and could give me uh, this, this, yeah, this sense of encouragement that I, I very much needed. That's really good. Yeah, that is good. I think teaching, as we're thinking about it, like we learned through those songs, we're able to commit to this, we're able to engage with those in a different way. It just breeds vulnerability. And I think especially for someone like me who's singing is like, not a gift like at all i was in choir for like four months and i would sweat profusely just (laughs) trying to stay on note (laughs) obviously perfect transition but like there's something about like it doesn't matter like it's okay that i can't sing and like the beauty of a choir i think reflects the beauty of a church really well Mm -hmm. when when i sing and provide what little i have to the people of god like it turns into this beautiful noise, not because of anything I'm providing, but instead because of the unity of the voices mm-hmm. together and that intermingling and the tenor and the other layers of music sounding yeah. people. Like, yeah, as music those words. Come, yeah, uh, sound waves. As those other <laughs> it's a very funny thing. It, 
I can't sing well. Brad, do you sing well? No. The three of us together would be quite like an awful trio. Oh, horrible. Kingston trio. What a reference for some of our viewers, yes. our listeners who hear Kingston Trio. But the idea of yeah. all of that coming together in a choir, I think is a beautiful illustration of what the church should look like, mm-hmm. where we together bring each other in, and they cover, my brothers cover over my weaknesses and my shortcomings, and I cover over their weaknesses mm-hmm. and shortcomings, and together it's a beautiful form of worship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with that, uh, becoming a learning body together. Calvin, he, uh, he on this in this passage will he doesn't limit you know teaching to just these three you know mm-hmm. categories, and he actually expands it to all communication, right? So any way we communicate should be a way that we can teach and edify one another. Um, one of the words I want to kind of key in on because it's it's it it shows up multiple times in this passage is this idea of like thankfulness, right? Thankfulness, be thankful. Um, what's the connection, and why is Paul? Why does he keep coming back to this word in a in a section where he's really trying to um, help you know those in, in Colossae step into this new life in Christ? You know, I actually glanced at the passage to make sure like it wasn't you know one of those New Testament you know places where there are question marks over like did this did the people making these copies yeah. like accidentally copy the same word and that. They didn't. It's very intentional. Each phrase three different forms. Yes. Yeah. Like the idea of thankfulness is so drilled down on here intentionally by Paul. Um, I'm glad that we're slowing down to take note. Yeah, I think for that I'd reach just to chapter three, verse one. Mm-hmm. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on the things above. Like to start that chapter, like who we are should drive what we do. And like who we are is thankful mm-hmm. sinners saved by grace and because yeah. of who we are that should drive our actions and our actions of teaching admonishing singing like that should come from a place of thankfulness rather than a rather than a place of like spiritual su- feeling of superiority or something or self-righteousness because that like when i read the bible i do not feel self-righteous yeah. in fact i feel like wildly grateful and unworthy mm-hmm. and i think that should that should drive our actions and our desire to teach should not come from, yeah. oh, I'm brilliant. They need to know of this. But instead, like, man, let's come together and serve each other because we all need this yeah. just as much as anyone else. That's a great point. I do think, and it's circular, right? Like, uh, our status in Christ should produce thankfulness, which then leads to action, which then helps us and reminds us of how thankful we are, right? Like there, there is that circularness to it. Um, but I also think, and this is a great point, man, I'm glad you said it, that and to go back to the, the person on the stage, right? Because the, the common idea of what it means to teach, if you can't, if we can't situate ourselves, place ourselves for in, a, in a spot of, of humility, posture of humility, uh, if we can't teach ourselves, right, how can we teach anyone else? And so it comes back to that mutual, like spiritual life is not ever meant to be an individual. It's always meant to be rooted in um, in community. And I do think that Paul, in this letter to Colossians, he he really punctuates the entire letter with thankfulness. So it's not just found in this in these three places. It's 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 throughout the entire um, the entire letter. I have uh, I have some thoughts there. Um, I think that. If I were to admonish, if I were to suggest something, but as a learner myself, that one of the things in front of us as Christians and mm-hmm. one of the ways that we can witness in our current world and the current, you know, dynamics of our day 
no matter where we are speaking or where we are projecting or where we are being heard, um, it's not an issue of more thankfulness. It's an issue of much thankfulness. Mm, love that. So somebody hops on YouTube because they want to talk about something or they blog or they write on, on their Facebook page or comment on somebody else's. I think that we as Christians need to feel bound to faithfulness. And it's not a question of, well, I'm going to say this thing here Mm -hmm. and later I'll be thankful or in some other space. It's not more thankfulness. It's not a quantitative thing. It's a qualitative thing that there is, there is a humility. There is a self-awareness, a God awareness, an other awareness, a sense of patience of how things play out over time that allows us in every space to be thankful as a characteristic, not just as something we try to do more of. Um, my sister, every birthday, she asks whoever whoever's birthday it is, she asks them, name that number, your years of age, that number of things you're thankful for. Mm. And it drives me up the wall, yeah. but it's such a good practice. Yeah. yeah. I'm what s- number would that be, this next one? Uh, 39 coming nice. up in a few weeks. Thank there you we for go. That's a lot of things. There we go. It's a lot of things to be thankful for. Cool. Well, thank you guys both. Uh, I've learned from from both of you in this. Um, I as have we desire you? you have you have taught me. I have Teach. learned from you. Uh, as we desire to be a community that is teaching one another, that's learning uh, from one another, from our experiences, uh, from the Word of God, uh, and just singing songs over one another uh, during corporate worship. Uh, you can find this deep dive and more on our resource page for this series, calvary.church slash it runs in the family. You can find it on YouTube as well and anywhere that you listen to podcasts. We'd also invite you to share this. If this conversation meant something, if you learned something, uh, we want to do this as a community. So share it with somebody that you think might also benefit from from hearing. And we look forward to uh, catching you again next week. Thanks for listening to The Deep Dive, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.